Well, Merry Christmas. Good to see you. Thanks for um, hanging out with us tonight. My name is Matt Howell. I'm one of the pastors here, and I've been uh, one of the pastors here for two and a half years now, and this is the first in-person Christmas Eve service I've attended at Redeemer, which is crazy to think about. Last year, we shut it down because of the cron was going around, and uh, we were close today. I mean, it's... I didn't have heat when I woke up in, you know, in our house this morning, so I'm glad we're here together for um, Christmas Eve. Um, when I was a kid, I don't think I really understood what Christmas was. <laughs> like, I, I, if you had asked me the question, I would have told you, I think it's about Jesus' birth. I could have given you that. How the North Pole fit into the equation was confusing. I didn't know how Santa fit in. I didn't, there was something about wise men and Rudolph and the Grinch. I didn't know how it all fit together. And so as a kid, it was just kind of this jumbled mess. But I knew Jesus being born was, had something to do with it. And I think even as adults, and maybe even now, even later, it's also easy to kind of miss the meaning of Christmas, because you get caught up in the nostalgia of it, the busyness of this season. You think, well, this is this season's really about getting all the shopping done I need to get done, stocking stuffers, and Christmas parties, and gingerbread latte, and, you know, li- listening to Drake, and, you know, doing whatever else you got to do. And um, so it's, 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 a, it's a busy season, and it's easy to miss the meaning of why we're doing this. And so I want to pause for just a moment. And consider what is the what is the actual meaning behind all the eggnog and the mistletoe and everything. And you can really boil it down. There's one verse in the Bible that is succinct enough to say this is what Christmas is really about. John chapter one verse fourteen. Um, it's, it's there in your bulletin. You know you know how um, you can order mattresses online now and they, they ship to your front porch. You can order like a, like a king-sized mattress and it shows up in like a shoebox and somehow they've, they've compressed it and vacuum sealed it and spring loaded into this thing where you just you know, cut one corner and the whole thing explodes out. The whole, I, the, the whole meaning of Christmas, you could say, is jam-packed, crammed into this one verse. So I'm going to read it to you and we'll, we'll, we won't flesh out everything, but we'll look at a couple things. It says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Two things I want to talk about from that one verse. Uh, In this verse, you see the claim of Christmas, and you also see the wonder of Christmas. The claim. There's a radical claim that's being made in that one verse, and with you know Christmas as a whole. What is it? Well, um, if you think about this, uh, maybe the kind of person that says, uh, "If God really exists, how can we know what God is really like?" It's one thing to have a preacher stand up at a church and say, "Oh, this is what God is like. He's like this. He's like this. He's like this." But if you think about it, you, you you may be wondering. You may be the kind of person that wonders. But how can you really know? How can anyone really know? what God is really like. Well, think about this. How can you know anything about another person? You can look at somebody across the way and you can know certain facts about them. You can come to certain conclusions based off of what you see about them. You can say, oh, they style their hair like this or they walk like this, they carry themselves like this, they got this kind of tattoo, they're riding a hoverboard, they're this kind of person. You can, you can make conclusions about people just based off of what you see about them. You can say, oh, they, they're dressed like that, they... She totally lives in Midtown. 
Or you could look at somebody and say, okay, based off of how he's styling his hair, based off of the kind of shoes that he is wearing, he is 1,000%. He was 1,000% in a frat at Ole Miss. You can, you can just peg people, but you can't really know somebody, really, unless they speak. I mean, their feelings, their thoughts, their own story, you don't have access to that just by looking at them. They have to use words. That's what words do. They take what is hidden they take what's invisible and they make it visible. That's why Jesus in this passage is referred to as the word. The word became flesh. It's, it's like God is saying, look, I'm taking what's invisible about me, who I am, and I'm, I'm revealing who I am in the person of Jesus. So if you want to know what God is really like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. In fact, there's this fascinating story in uh, John chapter 14 where the disciples come up to Jesus and they're like, hey, bro. You seem to be pretty tight with God. You talk about him all the time. Can you show us the Father? Can you arrange a, a meet and greet with between us? You might say in Memphis, uh, a sip and see. And, um, and what Jesus says is, is, is mind-blowing. He says this to them, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now think about what that claim is. If you've seen me, You've seen God the Father. I am God with skin on. That's, that's the claim of the Bible. The word becomes flesh. In the same way that, God, that we use words to communicate, God uses the word, Jesus himself, to communicate to the world who he really is. In fact, there's this verse in Colossians chapter 1 that says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Think about that. Now, there are people that will say, you can't really know anything about God. How could anybody really know something about God? And Christmas comes along and says, yes, you can. All you got to do is look at Jesus. That's the claim. That's the radical claim of Christmas, that God has revealed himself. Now, you hear that and you say, okay, if that's true, still, why all the celebration? Why all the eggnog? Why all the, you know, whatever? Um, well, to get to that, why this is a big deal that God's revealed himself, you got to look at the wonder of Christmas, the wonder of Christmas. And to get at that is at the end of the verse when it says that Jesus, God, is full of grace and truth. Now, what's so wonderful about that? Every other religion in the world is going to say, if you want to experience salvation or nirvana or enlightenment or peace or whatever that particular religious system offers, the way that you get it is by you going up. You have to go up. You have to up your devotion, up your commitment to believe in these things, up your commitment to doing these certain religious things. You have to clean up your life, clean up what's messy about you. And if you climb up the ladder well enough, you're devoted enough, maybe God will look upon you with favor and you'll get the nirvana, you'll get the peace, you'll get the salvation, you'll get whatever. you got to go up, though. And that's maybe why some of you are like, well, that's why I'm not a religious person, because that's toxic, and that sounds damaging to somebody. I'm, I'm not religious. I'm irreligious. Okay, but here's what I want you to consider. Irreligion or non-religiosity, it's driven by the same impulse, you going up. If you're going to be the right kind of person, you have to increase your political correctness. You have to increase your health. You have to increase your 
your wealth, your, your productivity, your likability, your likes and retweets and all, all the things, if you upgrade yourself and self-actualize enough, then you'll be relevant enough to be the right kind of person. But it's the same impulse. You go up. Christianity is the only perspective, religious and non-religious, that says salvation and healing doesn't come by you going up. It comes by God coming down. God comes down to us. He condescends. He stoops. He moves towards us. That's how much he is full of grace that he would move towards us. Now, think about this. I have a friend who's a, uh, is a pastor, and he was speaking at this weekend youth conference a number of years ago. And the way that these conferences work, there's, there's usually some form of entertainment on Saturday night. And so for Saturday night, they, they decided to do a talent show. So you got 150 kids or so out in the crowd. you got my, my visiting preacher, pastor friend who's standing in the back, and different kids come up and they do their... They're, they, you know, do an act for the talent show. So some people sing, some people do a little dance, maybe do a magic show. And uh, there's this one girl that's maybe 10 years old, and she comes up and she plays the piano. She sits down on the little bench and starts to play her little piano piece. And as she's playing this song, for whatever reason, nerves get the best of her, and she starts kind of messing up, screwing up the notes, trying again, screwing up again, and, and she keeps trying, and it's going poorly. And she knows it's going poorly, and everyone in the crowd knows it's going poorly. And so it's that kind of cringy moment. You, you've all, you, we've all been there at the talent show where the person's really struggling, and you want so bad for them to do well, but they're just not. And so people in the crowd, my friend tells me, start, they start trying to cheer her on of like, come on, you can do this. You got this. <laughs> but my friend said, she did not have this. And um, it gets to the point where she just stops trying and puts her head in her hands and just breaks down crying. And there's this older boy in the back of the room, maybe 15, 16 years old, and he stands up and he makes his way through the crowd and he comes up on stage and he bends down and he whispers something in her ear and she scoots over on the bench, and he sits down there next to her, and he starts playing the song that she was trying to play, only he's playing it perfectly. And that gives her enough confidence to kind of regain composure, and so she jumps in, and so she joins him, and they kind of do this duet to finish out the song. And my friend says, when she finally finished and hit that final chord, and it was successful, everyone in the audience lost their minds, just like standing ovation, screaming, explosion of energy. He said it was one of the most moving things he's ever experienced. And then he found out afterward that the older boy was her older brother. I know, you hear it. You, you, you said it. You made the noise. Oh. <laughs> now, I was talking with my friend. What, what is it? Why do you think that's, that story is so moving to us? And we were thinking about this and talking about this. And I think it's because everybody knows what it's like to be that little girl, to be that girl on stage where you f you're in this moment of vulnerability and you're failing and everybody sees it and you just feel like an utter fraud and you're on display for the world and you feel the shame, you feel the embarrassment, you just want to crawl in a hole. And what would it be like in that moment to look up and to see somebody that knows you and loves you moving towards you to rescue you. That's 
the wonder of Christmas because that's what God has done. Here we are in our failures, in our shame, in our suffering, in our secrets, all the things that we carry, and God does not recoil in disgust, but he moves towards us. He comes for us, so full of grace and truth that he is, that he moves towards us to rescue us. You know, that's what Jesus means. It means God saves, which means he comes to us not just into a manger, but he comes all the way to a cross so that we might not just know data about God. We might know what God is like, but we might actually know him and be known by him. So I'm going to stop talking, but I have um, a desire I want to share with you. I want you to celebrate hard tomorrow. I want you to celebrate well. I want you to tear into your presence like raccoons. I want you to crank up your Mariah Carey or your Drake, whatever your, your, your song of choice is. I want you to pour your eggnog and string up your lights and do the thing. But I also want you to know why you're doing it. We're doing all of this because we have a God that has revealed himself in Jesus. In wonder of all wonders, this God is a God that is full of grace and truth. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we are um, astounded that at the helm of the universe is not a strict, miserly, angry, begrudging God, but a God that is so gracious, that a God that is so good, that you would come for the very people that rebel against you. And I pray that as we enjoy this season, as we enjoy this moment, even enjoy tomorrow morning, that, that we would not get lost in the nostalgia and the sentimentality and the traditions of it all and miss Jesus but I pray that you give us eyes to see Jesus and give us hearts that are warm towards him. I pray that every heart in this, room, in this room would make him room, that every heart would make him room as we open our presence and as we enjoy time with friends and with family. But give us eyes to see Jesus and behold the wonder of who he is. We pray all this in his name.